0: I'm excited uh, about today. We are, we are leaning in to this idea about cleaning out our minds, spring cleaning. And we're going to be leaning into this for a couple more, three more weeks at least. And, and uh, I want to thank you for being here. I pray that you would walk on this journey together of thinking the right way not thinking the right way about politics and just all the junk we see on, on the internet. I'm talking about thinking the right way according to scripture. Amen. So I'm thankful for that. Thank you for, uh, uh bearing with us today as we had to read that, that deed. Um, I did realize that this is the only place you've ever heard a deed read with background music. So the next time, next time you go to the attorney, you buy a house, you close on a house or something like that, um, ask him to play background. If we're going to read this, could I have a little music behind it? Yeah. That's the way my church does it. Um, we're so thankful for the opportunity. You know, God throws opportunities in your lap sometimes. They look like work. And, um, and so sometimes we skip them. But I'm thankful uh, that this church doesn't skip work. And uh, uh, about a year and a half ago, um, the Dunham family was gracious enough, uh, gracious enough to donate a property to the church. And, um, and, and we, rehabbed, we actually tore it down and built a new house on that, on that piece of property. So um, we're selling it. It's supposed to go to closing tomorrow. And, and um, just thankful. Just thankful uh, that God works out things like that. Amen. And so I'm uh, looking to do some neat things with those proceeds uh, to make sure the gospel goes forward. And uh, you'll be hearing more about that. But I want you to, uh, to be in prayer, actually. Uh, I leave on Thursday uh, to go to Kenya for the first time in two years. And so I am anxious to get back with some friends of mine that I haven't seen in a long time and be able to do ministry that I'm passionate about. And encourage other pastors, so we'll be all over the nation of Kenya uh, for about three weeks and um, and it 's a beautiful country with some beautiful people. so be in prayer. Um, we are going to continue leaning into this conversation about spring cleaning. Um, Pastor B. J. Taylor will be with us next week he 's sitting right over there and um, He's actually going to talk about God leading us to peace, and then um, um, Pastor Faith Simmons, actually our Berkeley Springs campus pastor, will be here. And um, the week after that, talking about repetition, how repetition of Scripture and prayer—some of the stuff we're going to talk about today—how that how that brings peace into our life and affects us. And then Pastor Don Webb, my pastor, um, is going to be here. Uh, that third Sunday, and he's going to be talking about healing and um, being delivered, and that and that God does. Yeah, I, I, want you, I do want you to know this: that we're a church that believes that healing over time and healing over a moment can be in the same place. That that is a possibility. That God that 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 we are we are used to being healed over time. We're used to having surgery. We're used to that things taking a little while to recover. We're used to that. Uh, but there is a, there is a scriptural mandate for being healed in a moment and that, and that you don't have to be one or the other. You can believe in both. Amen. And so we believe that here and, and we want you to be whole. If you get there quickly or it takes a while, we want you to be whole. And so does Jesus. That's what he died for. So we're thankful about that. We have, um, Someone here today, that means a lot to me. Um, we've known each other over the years. I've sat in a chair across from him, complaining and asking advice. And uh, our kids grew up together. And so I'm thankful he's here this morning. I'm going to introduce you to him like this. Uh, Dr. Jonathan Hartens is a clinical psychologist specializing in individual and couples, family therapy. What's it been? It's been more than 20 years. 30? 30 years of experience, developed expertise in the treatment of depression, anxiety, and addictions. He was on the medical staff of the VA MC Medical Center in Martinsburg from 2001 to 2011, where he worked for nine years in the Center for Addiction Treatment, three of those years as its director. He served as a Navy psychologist from 1994 to 2001. He completed his doctoral internship at National Naval Medical Center in Bethesda, Maryland. He also served at Naval Hospital, Groton, Connecticut, and at Naval Air Station, Sigonella, Sicily. That sounds like a place I want to do something. Recently, over the last five years, uh, he's, he found a mountaineer recovery center there in and uh, where they're serving. Yeah. Where they're serving the community inpatient outpatient addiction treatment and um, and something I 'm excited about is founded a nonprofit called Semper Libre that is uh, establishing um, transitional housing for, um, for recovery and uh, to get people back into the workplace and back into society and it's going to be um, uh, it's going to be the model. can I say that it's going to end up being the model for how to do this so could you give a warm Hedgesville, Berkeley Springs welcome to Dr. Jonathan Hartens as he comes up? And I'd be uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention his beautiful wife Helen is with us this morning as well. Yeah. I didn't ask you this first service. How are the kids? Three. How are they? They're doing great.
1: They they all lived. They're all alive. That's always a good thing. And we're alive and still married. Um, And so, uh, yeah, there's a lot to be proud of.
0: Beyond that, it's up to them.
1: Empty nest, and I'm loving it. Empty nests are great. Any of you empty nesters in here? Man, life is good. Yes. It's like they're off the payroll. Yeah, that is fantastic. Yeah. I
0: didn't think about it like that, but that's a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. Off the payroll. We'll have to talk later.
1: Hey, I, I, let <laughs> me, me just... You, you asked... I want to say something serious. You asked for prayers for you when you travel, and, and you mentioned about, um, you know, our, our working together. I, I just want to say something about Pastor Chris and his wife, Beth, and um, they have... They have come to see me and and share with me, and and I wanted to share with you about the burdens that they have for you as a body, and um, y'all are very blessed to have Pastor Chris and Beth here and their senior leadership, and it's a tough work. It's tough work living in a fishbowl where they're watching, everybody's watching them or criticizing them or saying what they should or shouldn't do, and, um, you know, it's hard to keep your eyes on the Lord when there's so many other eyes on you. And um, I I just want to, I think you guys should take that serious when he says pray for us because um, the prayers are what holds his spirit. So um, I just want to say uh, thank you for your leadership and ministry here and the oversight of the church and the clipping of the body for the work of the ministry.
0: I remember coming to you, it's been uh, almost six years ago now when I first became lead pastor here and saying, Jonathan, I just don't want to be crazy. Yeah,
1: and I said, it's too late, too late. We're past that. All we're going to do is contain the craziness.
0: I was like, ah! All right. I'm fascinated by the way the brain works. I don't have a degree in brain things, but I read a lot of books about it. Is that a technical degree?
1: Yeah, that's technical.
0: Um, I believe, and I think if Scripture backs it up, that we're, that we're mandated by Scripture to be able to have authority over the way we think. And, and that's, that's what this whole conversation over this next month is about. It's about the church being healthy up here and being able to function healthy. Because, look, life throws all kinds of things at everybody. Let's just be honest. Nobody's immune. Uh, but if we, can, if we can tie our brains to the Holy Spirit and the Scripture, then we got a better shot at it. We just really do. And so we're going to lean in in a little bit of a deep dive this morning because I think it's important if there's a biblical mandate to take every thought captive, which Paul tells us to do, then I think it's important that we that we know how these things are working, that it's not some abstract spiritual thing that's happening outside of our body. It's actually happening in our heads. It's actually the way our brains work. And when we know how that when we know when the emotion comes or when the thing happens, how our brain is working, we have a better, we're better capable uh, than to than to think the right thing and, and do the right thing. And so that's that's what we're going to lean into. So, can you give us a little more insight, just in the practicality, of how the brain works, and 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 what's going on when we feel anxiety or when we feel depression, and 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 what type of effect that has on us?
1: Yeah. So you know the 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 brain is an organ that God created. He, he made it for us to use. And yet, because we're sinful creatures living in a fallen world, you know, it's just like no matter how good of a car you have, wear and tear takes its toll. And that's true for us mentally. Um, and so, you know, when I was going through school, I was taught that all psychology is biology, in that um, everything that we think is a function of our brains and the way we work, our moods, our feelings, all those things are a function of our brain and the way it operates. So it's important to understand that. And the other thing that is, is I love studying scripture and integrating it with science is that scripture confirms everything that science is revealing. Um, science is just now catching up what's been evident in scripture for thousands of years. And so we, we see that throughout scripture. Um, and we see that now being revealed in science. But one of the ways that, that I can make a simplistic view of the brain is to, just to make a fist. And if, 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 where you're sitting, if you make a fist and put your thumb inside your fist, and almost like you're gonna show it to your partner next to you, like you're gonna give him a knuckle sandwich. And, and if you think, if you look at your fist and the way, way it's shaped, that's essentially your brain. And some of you are saying, yeah, my wife's brain is about that big. Um, but really, where your brain, reg- the way your brain works is where your thumb is inside is the emotional part of your brain. And we know there's areas of neurological structures that manage emotions that's in the deep interior parts of the brain. And it's really where we're, God made us a lot like animals. We have instincts and fears and, and reactions that we don't control, we, ju- we just have. But then what separates us from the animal is the outer layer of your fist that's called the cerebral cortex. And that's what gives us the ability to think, to think through consequences, to think about the future, and to evaluate our feelings to see if they are helpful or hurtful. And so there's, these, there's the thinking part of the brain and then there's the emotional part of the brain. And so much of what gets um, happens in any of us is that the emotional part of our brain hijacks the logical part of our brain. And that's where Scripture, our spiritual disciplines, um, our fellowship with other believers can help keep those emotions in check for a healthy way.
0: So in our talk before, you said that the, the, the way science used to think about the brain was like concrete. And poor. Why don't you talk about that for a second? Because I think that's an, an important correlation between what Scripture tells us is possible and what science thought. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. So back… Back in the, you know, probably 70s and prior to that, our understanding of the brain was that it was a structure that kind of like concrete, you know, concrete can be made up of different substances for, for different textures or things. And, and that's kind of like our genetic, genetic makeup. And then you'd, you'd pour concrete into a form, and that's kind of like our circumstances in life. And then it hardens over time. And once it's set, it's set. And it, it can't really be changed. And that was our understanding of the brain at one time that we were born with a certain genetic makeup into a certain form of life, and then, as childhood would pass, our brains would get set and then just the way you were temperament wise intelligence um, problem solving abilities that was pretty much set and that guided a lot of our thinking. but as computers has evolved, technologies has evolved, we were able to see the brain, and actually now our understanding of the brain is not like concrete but more like a muscle, that areas of the brain can be developed, which is why people, like uh, so many soldiers who came back from Afghanistan or Iraq who might have had a traumatic injury, and they lost their right hand that they used to write with, and the brain adapts, and it gains the ability to write with the left hand. And so the brain is very plastic and very malleable. And we see that evident through Scripture when Paul talks about, in Romans 12, not To be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. your mind 's not static it 's not st- stable it 's actually constantly changing by the influences of those things that we do and those things around us
0: so the old way of thinking was you were born a certain way into a certain family, into a certain set of environments, you are hardwired by that those internal and external circumstances. And that was it yeah. now. And so that made scripture a little bit difficult to to understand that it, it was more like, well, this external spiritual thing was going to happen to me. And that's, and, and, and so I remember growing up as a kid, not understanding, just, just thinking, renew your mind. Well, that's just God just giving me a new brain all of a sudden. Yeah. Now we're starting to understand that, that your brain can actually be rewired it can actually look different on scans it can like when you put different inputs into it it causes it to look a different way
1: yeah we 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 can change it through a lot of different inputs you mentioned that word input you know we can change it with nutrition and certain things that we consume or eat whether that's good things um Food that God created for us to eat that's healthy. We can put nutritional things that's not good stuff, like certain substances that have a negative effect on the brain over time. So, nutrition is a big factor. Um, the environmental things that we expose ourselves to, social contact, uh, the kinds of people that we associate with have a way of affecting the brain. And then, our own kind of emotional experiences that we have in life have a way of affecting the brain. And, um, you mentioned about uh, earlier when you were talking, you talked about healing in the moment or healing over time. We actually know that change in the brain can occur in like that way in terms of we get changed by one of two things. Intensity of experiences or repetition of experiences. And so we know from Scripture like Paul was changed from Saul on that road to Damascus. That was an intense emotional experience. Blinded,
0: knocked yeah. to the ground.
1: And that was a moment yeah. in time that he was forever changed. And many of you have had spiritual experiences like that during when you feel the spirit working in your life and, and you come to a watershed moment and it's an intensity of which, after which you know that you know. Yeah. And, and there's no doubting and nobody can argue with you or change your mind. You know that you were born again. Yeah. And that intensity of experience can change us. Just as powerful, though, but often less recognized or sought out by us as believers, is the power of repetition. And repetition changes us. And, you know, we, we teach that with our kids. We teach them the ABCs by saying the alphabet over and over and over again. And Although I doesn't.
0: can't sing the new ABC song.
1: You can't sing it? Well, no, if we do it enough, you will no. probably can <laughs> Repetition.
0: It's, it's O P, right?
1: Yes, it's L-M-N. That's why one letter, <laughs> right? So we do that with repetition and multiplication tables. And or when we're learning vocabulary words in a new language, we learn things by repetition. And what's amazing now with PET scans and imaging abilities, we can actually see new connections forming in the brain from repetition. And so that's the power of repetition. When we learn Scripture... Yeah and we meditate on it over and over and over again. It has a way of actually changing the brain. Yeah. And so whether that's, as you talked about healing over time, a lot of that healing over time comes through the power of repetitious spiritual disciplines. Yeah. And that enables us to heal and recover from that effect of repetition.
0: So I want to separate this in two categories, the, the good repetition and then the bad repetition. So i want to ask so it seems like to me there's kind of two categories of of thought there's like well i'm i'm anxious or i've been dealing with some anxiety and then we and then there seems like to be a threshold where we cross over and start calling things um a mental illness can can you explain the what what that looks like and how you get from one yeah. to the other yeah
1: sure so so there, you know there's there is a big difference between the two, and, you know, n- most of us have bad days or difficult circumstances in life. Um, I really haven't met anybody that hasn't had those. And um, growing, when my kids were gr- growing up, we, we would, every one night a week, we would watch American Idol, and they would sing a song when somebody got voted off called, You Had a Bad Day. And, you know, that's the reality for all of us. We, we have bad days, and those are just... Bad days. That's all they are. And what tends to separate, you know, going through a hard time from mental illness is two things. One is duration. How long does it last? And usually those things that are more mental illness, they last for a longer period of time. Different conditions have different time limits. um, But like for a depression, it's considered to be longer than two weeks continuously. And so I may have a few bad days or a week of a bad day, but longer than two weeks, that's starting to suggest maybe something else is going on. So duration is one thing. The other thing that's a factor is a sense of control. And so if I'm having a bad day or a difficult time, I have learned how to be able to cope with that, that I have some sense of control. So when I get down, when I get depressed, I've learned that that's usually a function of fatigue. And so when I'm tired, I go take a nap. And now that i got an empty nest, I can do that a lot more often. So I get my lazy boy, I turn on NASCAR, and I'm out. And Or golf, that really puts me out. And I, and I really, that really helps recharge my battery. So I know I'm not depressed, I'm just tired because I have some senses of control over how to manage that. When conditions or difficulties move into mental illness, Most people feel like they've lost some sense of control over that. They they say, I I don't have a reason to be anxious, but I feel constantly anxious. I'm having panic attacks when there's nothing to be afraid of. I'm feeling down and depressed when everything's going great. I've got a great family. I've got a great job. i got my health. What's there to be depressed about? And they don't feel like they have control over the way they feel or what they try to do to gain control doesn't work. And so that's you know for individuals that are kind of evaluating themselves or somebody that they know those are kind of the two discriminating factors to consider
0: So let's talk about what is actually happening in the brain when when that takes place cuz you talked about that middle area is the where emotions originate from and and you were saying there's communication between those emotions and your the front part of your brain that is rational cognitive reasoning, all those things. So the front of your brain says what you just said, hey, you've got a good life, you got a good job, you know, you're know, you having a bad day, take a nap. That's the rational part of your brain, take a nap, right. you'll be right. fine tomorrow. Yeah. Talk about how when this is hyperactive, it tends to take over the reasoning part.
1: Yeah, and there's a number of different things that can cause that, but a lot of times the emotional part of the brain gets hyperactive. And when it gets too hyperactive, there's a phenomenon that's referred to as flooding. And, and flooding is when the, um, the amount of activity in the emotional part of the brain almost floods or short circuits the rational part of the brain. And so the rational brain, just like when my house gets flooded, the electricity goes out. Yeah. When my brain gets flooded with emotion, logic gets turned off. And so it's, we, we see people act and do stupid things without any rational thinking when they get emotionally charged. And so, you know, you, I, I even experienced that myself. That's why I don't play golf, because I can get angry at home for free. I don't need to pay 50 bucks to lose my temper. You know, and I go out on the course, and I, and I get flooded with anger at myself for a bad shot, and I throw a $200 golf club into the water. Um, you know, that's not a very smart thing to do. Logic gets thrown out the window. Um, and, and so being conscientious and aware of that phenomenon of flooding, we can start to learn tools or techniques on how to be able to regulate those emotions so they don't hijack the brain.
0: So Paul's mandate to take every thought captive or, or saying, have the mind of Christ that is the like stopgap between having a bad thought and letting that bad thought end up taking over.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and that's you know there's a couple of scriptures that reinforce that. You mentioned about Second Corinthians five where Paul does say take every thought captive, and that's almost like separating myself from myself and looking at what I'm thinking, and and so I I do that with a little acrostic that I, I use for myself and encourage others um, about challenge my feelings with facts, F-A-C-T. And the facts are feeling alertness confronted with truth. So I, I want to be alert to my feelings because a lot of times, you know, many of us have been taught, don't pay attention to your feelings or your feelings are invalid. Um, and my feelings can be helpful. They're like a, a an alarm on my dashboard that tells me something's wrong. But I don't always need to um, um, respond so abruptly to those feelings. So I want to be alert to those feelings, but then I want to confront them with truth. And that's the the CT part of the word fact. And so when we take every thought captive, I'm evaluating my thoughts in the context of God's truth. And so, you know, I, I may walk into Walmart and I'm really, really hungry. And um, I know nobody else in here has ever done that, gone in the grocery section when you're hungry. And you go by the produce section. And the emotional part of you that's hungry says, go ahead and take a few grapes and eat them here. Nobody's going to know. Right? And and some of you are looking at each other because I can see you've done that. You know, and, and, and there's that logical part of the brain that has to talk back and confront that with truth. Yes, I'm hungry, but is that really something I want to model for my kids? Is that something I want to be doing if other people are watching me? And so I confront my feelings with truth. So I want to be alert to my feelings, and then I want to confront those feelings with truth. And so that's taking every thought captive for the sake of obedience to Christ. Um, you know, another passage of Scripture that I think is so relevant for this is from James chapter 1, when he talks about temptation when he says, God does not tempt anyone, but each man is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own lusts. Yeah. So it's like, all right, I'm separated from God, I'm drawn away, and then I, my own feelings take me hostage, and then I decide to believe what I'm feeling. And I oftentimes tell people, don't believe everything you think. So just because you think something is good doesn't mean that it is. And so I need to evaluate that and confront that and say, is that just my feelings or is that a scripture validated truth? And then when we do that, we usually come out with what we know is the truth and what, what steps we need to take.
0: I never start with the grapes. I usually just go to the ice cream section and just start eating the chocolate ice cream right yeah. there. Yeah. It's never a good look.
1: No, no, no nobody <laughs> else here has. no. I, we're the, talking about other people.
0: <laughs> so um, I read a book one time that said, like, force yourself to slow down mentally. Because your brain does make these shortcuts really, really fast. And so you almost have to force yourself. Be, the, the, um, um, the truth part, you have to stop yourself. Okay, is what I'm thinking now even correct is it is it lining up with scripture is it lining up for what god has for me is this the best for my wife or for my kids is this the best for the church is it the best for this whatever relationships in front of me so slow myself down i'm i'm kind of like you I, if i play golf a lot I'd, I'd it would be very expensive yeah so slow myself down all right is this the right response and and it, And it is almost like stepping outside of yourself, looking at yourself and going, I know this is what I'm thinking, but that doesn't mean it's the best thing for me to be thinking in the moment.
1: Right, right. And that's where I think it's good to be evaluating not whether something's bad or good, but is it helpful or hurtful? Yeah. And everything that I find in Scripture that God gives me um, restrictions on or he gives me directions on is really for my benefit. It's, it's not that God's a prude, it's that God loves me and yeah. wants to give me guidance on how I might live optimally. Um, so when I, I see about those things, you talk about slowing down, and I think about what is it that's going to be in alignment with God's truth, what ultimately is in alignment with God's truth is really for my benefit. Yeah, And that's because because God's love is that way. He created us, He puts restrictions on us, or He gives us directions so that we can enjoy perfect fellowship with him, which is no better optimal experience than that. Yeah. So when we, we try to slow ourselves down, when we talk about that um, emotional part of the brain, that thumb in the middle of your fist, the spiritual disciplines are a key for that, for slowing the emotional response down. And when we look in the book of Acts, we see the early church practicing those. It said, the disciples gathered for prayer, for the breaking of bread or for studying the apostles' teaching and, and, and for fellowship. And so we see those spiritual disciplines as so relevant for each of us. Um, prayer in particular is a spiritual discipline that really helps build emotional resiliency. That is the ability to be able to manage emotional impulses without just acting on them. Um, and so when we have an emotionally charged situation and I'm maybe prone to lose my temper or prone to say something I shouldn't. Prayer and praying about that about myself actually has a way of rewiring the brain. That's when Paul talks about transforming your mind. It has a way of building emotional resiliency. And so sometimes people will say, why should I pray for them? They're a jerk. Why would I pray for them? we're not trying to change a jerk. We're trying to change you. And prayer changes me. When I pray, I may not change the outcome, as I don't know what God's sovereign will is for that outcome. But prayer changes me. And we, we see it with scientific evidence. Blood pressure drops when people pray. Um, all other kinds of, of stress hormones get reduced when people pray. And so there, there is a physical effect that occurs when we engage in spiritual disciplines. A fellowship is another spiritual discipline. We don't think about that so much as a spiritual discipline. But after COVID, you know, it's been so easy to just kind of stay at home and watch everything on TV and uh, watch the live stream. And um, for those of you that maybe anybody that's live streaming today... Uh, Certain circumstances may have required that, but we want to make sure we don't get in that habit of staying isolated and detached from the body Um, because social interaction is so important for us. Uh, You know, when when we were in high school or college, we had kind of societal structures that fostered social interaction. And then we get out of those institutions, and we go to get a job, and I get up at a certain time, go to work at a certain time, come home at a certain time, go to bed at a certain time, next day, same thing. And we can develop this track of loneliness, and the church is really an important agent of that social connectedness that enhances the mind. Um, And so, you know, that's why being a part of the fellowship of believers is so important. People may say, I can worship at home by myself. Yes, you can, but it does not have the neurological benefits that worshiping together with other believers in person does. And so that, that's what makes things like this where we gather together to worship so important as one of our spiritual disciplines.
0: That, uh, that's really good. I think the bumper sticker for the day is prayer does not change jerks. I think that's the, <laughs> that was good. The, I want to lean into that a little bit more because, um, you know, we, we talk about repetition. I I think I heard you use an analogy of, you know, getting from one field to another field and there being a section of really dense woods in between. And then you have to kind of chop your way through it the first time. I've also heard it mentioned, like, if you walk through your backyard once, you're probably not going to be able to tell you were back there. But if you walk through there four times a day every day for 20 years, your neighbor's going to come over and say, you walk on the same path, there's no grass growing, you just wore it in. And, and so whatever you're doing repeatedly is the thing that is wearing into your brain.
1: Yeah, yeah that's called neural pathways. And, and the, what we know now with imaging of, with, and seeing neural pathways develop, it can really be illustrated like that metaphor you were talking about. If I'm walking through a pasture and I'm trying to get to another pasture, but in between where I am and where I'm trying to go is a big, thick woods. The first time I walk through those woods to get to the greener pasture, it's going to be difficult. I'm going to be maybe bushwhacking and and, um, walk through poison ivy or, or thickets. And I really got to put a lot of effort into cutting that way. And I may be I may be even inclined to quit and just kind of stay where I'm at instead of pushing through to get to the other side. But if I push through and I do it again and again and again, eventually that pathway is going to be wide open and I can get from one pasture to the greener pasture because I've created a new neural pathway. And so, you know, David talks about that, about you make me lie down in green pastures. And so we can get to those green pastures, but sometimes it means walking through a valley of shadow of death, of difficult time. But if we keep and stay steadfast with the Lord walking with us, we form that new pathway, and it gets easier and easier to be able to do those things. And so repetition is key for developing that new neural pathway in our brain and being able to overcome bad habits or or sinful desires that so
0: easily ensnare us. So that's why I know sometimes, here's a classic example of it. I don't feel like praying right now. I don't feel like reading the Bible right now. So all of a sudden our feelings are are beginning to dictate how we respond or 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 what our inputs are. When we have the ability to step outside of that feeling and go, I know I don't... I don't feel like going to work sometimes. Come on, amen? You don't feel like being nice to people sometimes. You don't feel like. So these these inputs that we're putting in, prayer. Prayer might not seem like an input, but you just heard what he said about it. When we pray, it's actually an input into us. It's actually God changing us. And so when we read scripture, when we commit it to memory, it's actually an input into us. When we fellowship with each other, it's actually input into us. And so the beautiful thing about these spiritual disciplines is every single one of us have a section of forest to plod through. And you may have several of them throughout your life. That, that You're going from one green pasture to another green pasture, and there's a difficulty in front of that. And the, way, the beautiful thing about the way God set up the church is he put those helps in the church so that we weren't plodding along those things by ourselves. So, so the necessity to have fellowship. Hey, you know what? I'm feeling something right now that I know probably isn't true, but, but I don't know that I can whack through this thing by myself. And I've sat on the other side of, of Jonathan and said, man, I don't, I need to know that I'm thinking the right way about this. And I don't know if I have the ability to think by myself. I don't, I, I need somebody else with a machete coming through here with me and chopping it down. And then when you put prayer into that and scripture into that, it is the recipe for having a sound mind. It really is,
1: and, and as you were saying that, where my mind went with that is the importance of articulating your feelings. Articulating your feelings, where I see evidence of that in Scripture, is if you read through the Book of Psalms, and you and you look at there's 150 Psalms, and 78 of them, over half, are what's referred to as lament Psalms or, or Psalms of complaining. And David complains to God, you know, and he basically says, "Where are you at? I'm out here all alone. You're, you're leaving me hung out here." And God com- and, and David complains. Now he's articulating his feelings. Now that was always counter to what I was taught growing up. I was always taught, "Don't you say nothing bad about God? Don't you ever talk back to God?" And then I open scriptures and I see that's not consistent. Actually. People complain to God all the time. Moses complained. David complained. And, and, and when I see why is that important, why is it important to be open and articulating your feelings? When I read through the lament psalms, I think almost every one. I'm not a theologian to know for sure, but from my experience, every lament psalm I read, after David spends about half the chapter complaining, he gets to a but. And it's like he counters his own stinking thinking. In articulating his feelings, he says, but you are faithful, O oh God, but you will deliver me. But your, your faithfulness to me is greater than my faithfulness to you. Over and over again. And so it's through articulating our feelings, we become aware of, we confront them with truth. And that's where I think, you know, Paul goes back to taking every thought captive. Sometimes we take thoughts captive by articulating them. And whether it's in the body and I get together with a, let's say if I'm in a men's Bible study and I share what's going on in my heart, what I'm struggling with, just me articulating those feelings is a way of me confronting them with truth. Or there may be a word someone else says to me that gives me an encouraging word on how to respond to that. But articulating them is a really important part of the process. And we need to take those to the Lord, take them to believers, um, and, and those that we can trust with their feedback.
0: So as James says, confess your sins to one another, that you may be healed. Yeah, yeah. So we, the act of saying, this is the way I'm feeling, this is, this is what I'm thinking about right now.
1: Yeah, I, I'm, I'm always struck by the number of people that will come in my office. We'll say, go, and they start talking. And 50 minutes later, they're still talking, but they feel better. I didn't say anything. <laughs> and they say, oh, thank you, that was so helpful. I said, anytime, brother. <laughs> Come on back, but and, and what what makes that so therapeutic is that they have a a safe intimate place to be open, and it is very much cathartic to to just share all that stuff, and it's like you know when there's stink in the room I got to open the windows, and so we got to open up the windows and share a heart with one another, and it lets that stuff out, and then sometimes that's sufficient for our own recovery, and that's all that's needed.
0: Well, a lot of your work now is in addiction uh, recovery. So, why don't you why don't you spend a few moments telling us how these how external, um, uh, the epidemic of external drugs, what what kind of effect that has on the way our brains are wired, and why it's, why it's so difficult um, in recovery.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, one of the things that um, we know now with our increasing science abilities is we can actually see in the brain how exposure to certain drugs or chemicals, whether it's alcohol or heroin, um, actually causes the brain to stop producing its own healthy chemicals. And so as the the brain kind of learns, the brain is very smart, whether you think so or not, but the brain is very smart, and it learns that if it can get something from the outside, it's going to stop producing it on the inside. So the brain produces its own opiates, its own pleasure chemicals, But if it can get it from the outside, then it doesn't have to spend the energy to produce it on the inside. And so what people oftentimes don't realize they're doing is when they get exposed to something, and even if it's just recreational, it's they're training their brain to start producing those own natural pleasure chemicals that God gave us, and they don't produce them on their own, then thereby making them more dependent to go get it on the outside. And that just creates a downward spiral where they're actually going into withdrawal if, if their brain doesn't have those chemicals on board because their, their brain stopped producing them all together. And so recovery is giving people enough of a cushion so that they can withstand the difficulty but begin to retrain the brain to produce those chemicals on itself, to develop emotional regulation within itself, and be able to live a life without having that dependency on something external to manage something internal.
0: That's so good. I hope today that um, this has opened your eyes a little bit to what 's happening up here, and I hope that you've realized that god that God set up the church around us so that we could be healthy, that He gave us scripture not to limit your life and cause you to not have any fun, but He gave you scripture to cause us to be healthy. He gave us access to the Father through prayer to cause us to be healthy. And that your your best life is practicing these disciplines. The best brain you will ever have is a brain that prays and reads scripture and hangs out with other people that do. Amen? And so, so my prayer for you, uh, you pray for me, I'll pray for you. And if I stay a jerk and you stay a jerk, we'll still all be fine. Because, because we'll be praying. Right. Yeah. So, <laughs> but my prayer is that, that as a church, we can show people the pathway to, to, to mental freedom, to peace that passes all understanding that God set up a way that we can live in peace, that we can live in peace with ourselves or with other people. And, um, and, and you've done such a good job today explaining that to us. So I think I'm confident that we have tools to walk out of here and and live a little bit differently this week.
1: Can I offer just a challenge to everybody here as we wrap up? And that is that I I hope the time that Chris has set this up will be something that's not just for information or entertainment, but for self-examination. And, you know, the Apostle Paul encourages us to examine yourself to see how you're living out the faith. And that's for us as believers to be examining ourselves to see where is my thought process getting in the way of God's work in my life? Where is my lack of of managing my own emotional impulses getting in the way? And so while we might be inclined to think about what has been set up here today, how that applies to other people, my challenge and prayer for you is that you would examine yourself and ask the Lord to use this to reveal insights for you on what disciplines you need to develop, what habits you need to change, what attitudes need to develop within yourself.
0: That's great. Could you thank uh, Dr. Harden this morning? Why don't we stand to our feet? We're going to pray. Actually, could I have you pray sure. over us today? Yeah. Uh, there'll be yeah. healing in the room.
1: Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, it is a joy to be among believers gathered together to worship your name and encourage each other. And as we prepare to dismiss, Lord, we now ask for your Holy Spirit to fill us and to send us out to do the work that you've called us to do. And in that work, Lord, we pray for those who are here today, those who are heavy-hearted with life's difficulties and the burdens that can so easily weigh us down. We pray for them, Lord, that you would um, lift them up and surround them with others here who can encourage them along the way. And we pray, Lord, those not just who are heavy-hearted, but those who are hard-hearted, those who may feel hardened by the bitterness that can come so easily, or just the jadedness that comes from living in a fallen world. We pray for your Holy Spirit to penetrate them and to soften their heart and bring them to a place of fellowship and right living with you. And Lord, we also pray for the light-hearted, those who feel encouraged and excited and our good w- fellowship with you. We pray that you would equip them and empower them and use them for the sake of ministry to the others, Lord. And we look forward to seeing your hand at work in the days and weeks ahead, and especially through this local body. And we pray this in Jesus' name.
0: Amen. Amen. We'll see you back here next week. Have a great week. Think right.